I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we're going to be in chapter 2 of 2 Kings as we continue our study of the life and ministry of Elijah and then to Elisha. Now, despite the ever-changing state of the world in which we live, What we see in our passage for this morning is that God's mission continues. This is the point of our passage. As we will read, God's prophet Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, but God's mission continues. The hero of Mount Carmel is taken away, but the God who triumphed at Mount Carmel has gone nowhere. You see, it's common for God's people to make heroes out of the Lord's servants, to confuse the power of God with the servant that God sends. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul brings correction to the church in Corinth for this very reason. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's difficult for us not to make idols out of those who are great leaders in the church, and then to fret when those leaders eventually die. What will we do now? How will the work of the Lord continue if we don't have Augustine, if we don't have Luther, if we don't have Graham, if we don't have Sproul? What is the church to do without these great men? Nevertheless, the Word of God is teaching us that while His servants come and go, His mission continues. Now what is the Lord's mission at this moment in biblical history that we come to in second kings well as we have seen over the last several weeks there is a conflict between kingdoms between the kingdom of god and the kingdom of this world and this conflict has taken form in a battle between the dynasty of omri that was ruling in israel at the time and the prophet elijah For it is the mission of God to reign over all the earth. It is to bring the blessing of God's righteous judgment and His mercy to the ends of the earth. And in the book of Kings, it is to bring down this evil kingdom of Omri and to preserve the blessings of the promised land to the people of God. God raised up Elijah for a period of time to lead this battle. And yet, in our passage for this morning, Elijah's time comes to an end. And it is time for a new prophet to arise. It's a different prophet, but it's the same mission. And this morning, we must see that the Lord's mission to reign continues. He has called His church to advance this mission in the world. And despite the ever-changing landscape of the world that surrounds us, where leaders come and go, where movements rise and fall, where denominations have their time but then come to an end, God has a continuing mission. Despite the constant ups and downs of church history, the Lord's purpose continues. And what we will see 
is that if we would be faithful to God's mission in this world, we must trust the power of God. We must never look back and we must ever stay on task. So here now, the word of the Lord, 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken away from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent, therefore, 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. 
And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt into it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you this morning and we pray, O Lord, that as we hear your word read and preached, as we proclaim the praises of King Jesus echoing the praises on the day of his triumphal entry, that we would take up the call of the mission of the kingdom, that we might praise the Lord and proclaim His glories to our generation. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. As we come to our passage for this morning, the first thing that we learn from our text is that as the mission of God continues, we must trust that it is the Lord alone and not man that empowers this mission. You see, the prophet Elijah had power, he had influence, but he had that power and influence because it was the Lord who gave it to him. And this same power can and is given to anyone whom the Lord chooses to anoint with his spirit. In the book of James, we are reminded that Elijah was a man just like we are. There was nothing particularly outstanding about Elijah. He wasn't a superhero that gave him the power to accomplish the Lord's mission in Israel. Now, I don't mean that he wasn't a great and holy man. But what I do mean is that he was called to do things which only God could accomplish. Right? There's no amount of talent that can call down fire from heaven. There is no graduate class, at least not at the seminary that I went to, that you can control the weather through your prayers. Now, if you have that power, please pray that we have nice weather on Saturday for the Easter egg hunt. But I don't, I haven't taken that class. Elijah's ability to bring back the widow's son or to cause the oil and flour to never run dry was not something that he developed over time. It's not a skill that he honed. It was only by God's particular anointing upon him that any of these miraculous tasks were accomplished. As Elisha accompanies Elijah through the Jordan, he knows that Elijah's time on earth has come to an end. This has been confirmed three times as we move over the Jordan into this land where Elijah will be taken up. 
And so Elisha asks in the second half of verse 9, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha has served alongside Elijah for several years now. He has seen the call that is upon the prophet's life and he desires to have the same and even a double anointing that Elijah had. But there is a mistake, I would assert, in the way that Elisha phrases his question. For Elijah could no more pass on the anointing that he had as he could cause fire to come down from heaven himself. So Elijah responds in verse 10. Look there, he says, you have asked a hard thing, right? I can't do this. You have asked something that I can't do. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elijah passes the buck, as it were. He says, hey, I can't do this. This is too hard for me. And yet... If you see me, if the Lord grants you this grace that you see me, then that is an indication that the Lord is passing on this anointing from me to you. And so we read in verses 11 and 12. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire, horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha sought. Elisha saw his master taken up by this whirlwind and his scene was a sign that the Lord would bless him. And from this point on forward, Elisha will walk in greater power than even Elijah walked. And yet the power did not come from man. It came from the Lord himself. And this truth should be a great encouragement to us. It is so easy to assume that the church will rise and fall with the fortunes of a few particular men. And no doubt the Lord uniquely gifts certain men in the church history for ministry. But that gifting is only that. It is a gift and a gift that the Lord can choose to give to whom he wills. You see, we can't make an idol out of mere men and women, even if they are as great as Elijah For Elijah was just a man. And so were the giants of church history. So was Augustine and Calvin and Luther and Knox and Wesley and Edwards and Spurgeon and Graham and Sproul. They were great men, greatly used of the Lord, but they were great because of the Lord's anointing upon them. An anointing that he gives to whomever he wills. How strange indeed it is that the very servants that the Lord uses to lead people out of idolatry can often become idols themselves. John Calvin once said that a man's heart is a factory of idols. We just pump idols out of our hearts. We're continually looking for something to make into an idol. And he knew that because of his own prominent place in the history of the church, that people would want to make him into an idol. He understood the anointing on his life and so... He asked that when he died that there would be no pomp surrounding his burial. And he asked to be placed in a simple wood casket and buried in an unmarked grave among other believers. 
His wishes were fulfilled. And to this day, no one knows exactly where Calvin's body lies. Why did he want it this way? Well, because he knew people would make his grave into a shrine and his memory into an idol. But his place in the kingdom of God was only for a short period of time. And the anointing that he was given was given to him for his generation. But it was passed down to the next servant for the next generation and the next and the next and the next. Christian, the Lord is not done with the mission that he has for his church. He continues to anoint his servants for the growth of his kingdom. And if you are in Christ, then you have been anointed with His Holy Spirit. You have the same power that called fire down from heaven. You have within you the same power that caused the oil never to run dry. You have the same power within you that parted the Red Sea and the same power that even raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Because if you are in Christ, then you have His Holy Spirit. And all of these tasks were accomplished not by men. They were accomplished through servants of the Lord by the power of God Himself. You, Christian, you have been anointed by God for the ministry of the kingdom of God to go forth in this generation. Now God's giftings will vary according to His will. But each one of you here today that proclaim faith in Jesus Christ have been given the power of God to accomplish His mission in this generation. Now, it's very common for us to look back fondly on ways that God has moved in the past. In my experience, I've interacted with a lot of people that look back to the late 70s and early 80s when there was a unique outpouring of spiritual power in America. Many of you here may have come to know the Lord during this time. There was lay renewal and a return to biblical Christianity within mainline churches. It was a great event in the church's history. But today, it's just that. It's history. Yet for several churches, a return to a past era in which they, they localize the work of God is their aim. They operate under the impression that if they just recreate some worship or some teaching environment that they had in the past, that they will be able to recreate the experience and therefore recreate the power of God. Maybe they look back to that time in the 70s and 80s. Maybe they look back to the Great Awakening of the 18th century or the Reformation of the 16th century or even further back. Yet the kingdom of God is not moving backward. It is moving forward. The disciples of Elijah did not understand this concept. They had followed Elijah. They knew that Elijah was great. And so, when he was taken, their reaction was to go back and relive the glory days. Because nostalgia is a powerful force. 
We read in verses 16 through 17, Behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent, therefore, 50 men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. You see, Elisha understood the principle that the kingdom of God is ever moving forward. But the disciples of Elijah wanted to look back. You know, maybe Elijah wasn't taken up into heaven. Maybe the Spirit of God just came and tossed him up in the air and he fell down on some mountain or he fell down in some valley. We need to go look for him. We need to go find Elijah because without Elijah, the mission of God doesn't go forward anymore. I know it seems preposterous, but maybe he's just lying out there somewhere. And Elijah's like, no, we can't go backward. And they said, no, we got to do it. We got to do it until he felt so ashamed that he just let them do it. Yet the Lord does not allow his servant to be found. He takes him away so that his disciples will not get caught living in the past, but will look forward to the continuing of God's mission in their generation. Now, today, if a man like Elijah died, we know what we would do. We would make a great fuss over his life. They would make retrospectives about his success on Mount Carmel. They would go and interview all sorts of people and they would talk about all that he did. His friends would show up on the 700 Club and speak of the good old days when God used to move. Maybe even a museum with old posters and personal artifacts from his life would be constructed. We would induct him into the Prophet's Hall of Fame and fondly think about how God used to move. Now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating the lives of men and women who are used of God. But we must be very careful in our celebration of the past that we do not fall into the trap of nostalgia. We can't allow ourselves to believe that God had a mission for that generation. But now that God's man has died, there is no longer a mission or a purpose for the church. Elijah is dead, but Omri's kingdom continues to stand. The battle continues onward. So don't spend your time and effort venerating Elijah. Rather, focus on what God has called you to do today. The Reformed Church has one of the richest histories in Christianity. Evangelicalism had its day of influence in America. And yet I fear that our focus on our past successes will blind us to the work of today. Because the battle continues. Satan's kingdom continues to rage and stand this day. And this is a battle that we cannot lose. We must continue to wage war by the power of the Spirit today. Because the best days are ahead for the kingdom of God. The victory that we will experience in the future is greater and vaster than anything that our forefathers in this faith have experienced. 
We can't be like the disciples of Elijah looking to the past, hoping to venerate what happened before us. We must trust that the Lord's work is continuing even today. The Apostle Paul said, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't be caught pining for the glory days. Don't buy into the lie that the church has had its day and now it's in decline. But in faith look forward. For the kingdom of God will have no end. So don't give in to nostalgia, Christian. Because in truth, things weren't as great as you remember them to be. Nor is the future as bleak as our enemies might make it out to be. Rather, the future of the church and the kingdom of God is glorious. It is a future of the story of success and victory. There will be justice and there will be beauty and there will be life everlasting. Why are you looking back when the future is where our hope lies, Christian? Don't look back. But with faith and confidence, Look forward to a glorious future in Christ. Now following Elijah's dramatic departure, we are given two rather strange stories about Elisha. In the first, Elisha purifies the water supply of Jericho with some salt And in the second, he curses a group of young men from Bethel who tease him for being bald. What is the point of these stories? First, to understand their place, we have to look at them in the context of the whole chapter. Elijah, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 2, begins his journey by going to Bethel. Then he stops in Jericho. And finally, he crosses the Jordan River going out of Canaan by miraculously parting it with his cloak. Following Elijah being taken up, we read that Elisha then crosses back over the Jordan River with the same miraculous parting. Then he proceeds to Jericho to cure the water and then on to Bethel where he curses the rude young men. What's the point being made? Well, The point is that Elisha is walking the same path as Elijah. Elisha is taking over the ministry that Elijah once had. The mission continues. It's going forward. God's work of blessing and judgment has not come to an end. You see, Jericho had been cursed with water that brought death. As you remember, Jericho had a special place in the history of God's people. For as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River in the conquest, Jericho was the first town that they took. And now the blessing of God is coming upon this town as Elisha crosses over the Jordan River and brings the blessing of the kingdom. 
Bethel also played an important role in the history of Israel, but now in Israel's rebellion. For it was here that Jeroboam established false worship. It was here that he built a temple with golden idols that were to be worshipped. As the prophet passes this center of false worship, he is degraded and he is attacked by the young men of the city. Now, when we first read this account, we might think that Elisha needs to switch to decaf. I mean, come on, man. It's just a few kids making fun of your bald head. Why call out the she-bears? And yet, a closer look at the text reveals that these are not just snide remarks from middle school boys. These are threats made upon the prophet by young men who are violently driving him out of Bethel. This was a kingdom conflict. This was the young men of the city saying, we reject the God whom you serve and we will continue to serve the idols and worship them here in our city. And just as blessing came to Jericho, judgment comes to Bethel. You see, as the Lord's mission continues, there will be blessing to deliver from the curse of sin and death, Jericho. And there will be judgment on those who reject and rebel against God's word, Bethel. You see, the mission of the Lord to bring down the evil kingdom of Omri continues. That's the point of these two stories. Elisha walks the path of Elijah bringing the blessings and the judgments of the kingdom of God. There's no delay. There's no looking back. Rather, Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah and continues in the mission God had anointed him to accomplish. No retreats, but rather a laser focus on the task at hand. And just as the mission of the Lord's kingdom continued in the life of Elisha, so too does it continue this day. In First and Second Kings, the Lord is moving to bring down the kingdom of Omri. Omri had died. Ahab died. Ahaziah died. Yet Jehoram continues to reign over this evil kingdom. And the Lord will not allow His purposes to be thwarted. He will bring this evil kingdom to the ground so that His promise of life and salvation will be fulfilled to His people. Just as Elijah has died does not mean that the Lord is finished with His work. Now many voices have declared the end of the church in our own day in the West. Today, churches throughout Europe are used as museums and art galleries. And if you believe it, There are statistics about the direction of the American church that seem to be pointing in a similar direction for the future of the church here if things do not change. And when we see this trend, we can become pessimistic about the future of the kingdom of God. We can become distracted from our mission and begin to pine for the glory days of the past. We can become discouraged and give up the task that is before us. And that is exactly what the enemy wants us to do. We see our weakness and we do nothing. We look with nostalgia upon the past and we seek to recreate a past that never actually was. We get distracted and we give our attention to other pursuits besides the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But our God has a mission to reign over all the earth. He is moving to bring down the kingdom of Satan and to establish the kingdom of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And this Palm Sunday, we remember His triumphant march into Jerusalem as the crowds called out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, we continue to look to this King to establish His kingdom. For the Lord Jesus Christ has bound the strong man, Satan himself, and is even now plundering his property, advancing his kingdom. Even now he is rescuing men, women, and children from every tongue, tribe, people, and a nation. His kingdom is marching on. At the end of the book of Matthew, the Lord gives his disciples the mission of the church. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. This is the mission. It did not end with the disciples or with Augustine or Luther or Calvin or Knox or Edwards or Whitfield. It didn't end with Spurgeon or Graham. This is what we are called to be about until the Lord returns. We are called to worship the King. We are called to raise up disciples who will follow this King. And we are called to go forth into this world proclaiming the good news of the Kingdom. That all who repent of their sin and place their trust in King Jesus will be delivered from death into light. That they will be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and they will be brought into the kingdom of the Son of God. And over the next week, you have an opportunity to take part in this mission. You have an opportunity to take up the mission to worship the Lord throughout this week. We have services where you can come on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and on Sunday morning as we celebrate the resurrection. You can come and fulfill this mission in your generation. You can fulfill this mission because today you have an opportunity to get invitations, to give to your neighbors, to join us for this Easter worship, to join us in our outreach on Saturday morning. For we have put together these invitation bags with a Bible from the Gideons, a track about the true meaning of Easter, an invitation to our Easter egg hunt, and a few pieces of candy to sweeten the deal. But we need people to hand them out. We need people to take up the call to go over to the table that's just right over there. Find a street that has labeled for you that you would be willing to take and say, in my generation and in my day, I will not be found sitting on the sideline, but I will take up the call of God to go forth and proclaim the gospel. And we need people to take up the call to be present at our outreach. Not primarily to get free candy and to get a picture of your cute little kids or grandkids, but rather to form relationships with our neighbors who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might have your excuses. You might say, well, you know, that's not my gifting. You have the power of God's Spirit within you. It is your gifting. 
You might say, you know, that, that used to work. Outreach used to work, but it won't work today. People don't come to Christ any longer, do they? Yes, yes, God's mission continues. It didn't just go forth in days past, but it will go forward as we go in the power of God. And you might say, well, you know, I'm just too busy. There's too many other things. Hey, I get it. Easter week is busy for me as a pastor. But we can't use that excuse because this is our number one task in this world to see the advance of the kingdom of God in our generation, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how the mission goes forward. This is how Christ's kingdom is established. When willing servants, weak in themselves, but strong in the Lord, take up the mission to proclaim the gospel and in faith obey their king's command to go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we ask that you would anoint us with your spirit and that we would take up the call. Lord, that we would not look back, but that we would look forward, knowing that our hope is in the kingdom that is to come. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.